Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. I want you to know that uh, it's an honor to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, my son has a little bit of a, his throat's not doing well, and he said, uh, Dad, would you be open to, to preach on Sunday? And I said, yes, <laughs> uh, I'll do it. Um, and I can't help but think I love the introduction about Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, you know, just one of my favorite stories in the Bible, right? Um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Surprise, Luke chapter 2. I've entitled this morning's message, I've Heard That Before. I have heard that story over and over and over. What possibly could I get out of Luke chapter 2 that I haven't heard for the last 25 years? Now, I don't know if you're like that. There is a little bit of cynicism and sarcasm in my family. And so, not that you've ever noticed that. But in that context, I thought to myself, what is that, the new thing that not only God wants to speak to us individually, but what's the reminder of the incredible truth of the advent of Messiah that came to earth where God left heaven, clothed himself in humanity, and came to save us. That's a story I never get tired of because it's the story of redemption. It's my story. It's your story. It's the people that are here that I look at, and when I think in terms of praying for this morning's message, and, and I see different faces. Jacob, I was thinking about you and praying for you this week. And I texted some of the mom or some of the ladies who have lost their husbands uh, during the last few years to just let them know I was thinking and praying for them during this time of the Advent. There was a chauffeur that had been driving an economics professor around for dozens of speaking engagements. He had been doing this for several years, and of course, the professor would be in the car, you know, practicing what he was going to share with the particular educational board that he was going to talk to. And he, he had heard it so many times, he said to the professor, you know, professor, I believe I could give my, your speech myself. I have heard it so often. And the professor said, Really? Well, I happen to be from Las Vegas, and I'll lay you three to one. No, I'm just kidding. He said, I'll bet you a hundred bucks that you can't. And the chauffeur said, you're on. And so to really make this a real bet, they take the, the limousine, pull it over to the side of the road. They get out, change clothes. The driver or chauffeur becomes the professor, puts on his suit and his bow tie and glasses, 
and the other one puts on the chauffeur's outfit. And so they drive to the event, and he was, the chauffeur was introduced, and he went up to the podium. And with great enthusiasm and great accuracy, verbatim, he repeated the very speech that that professor had given for the last two years. When it was over with, the crowd stood up and said, that's the greatest speech we've ever heard. The chauffeur was resting in his laurels, looking over at his boss and winking at him because he knew he had 100 bucks coming. But one thing he didn't expect, the MC and host of the event looked at his watch, said, you know what, we have some extra time for some question and answers. So why don't we go, and while we have our guest, our professor here, why don't you, whatever question that you have, why don't you ask? Now, I don't know about you, but I would be getting very nervous. And so the chauffeur, trying to look confident, looked around the room and the audience, and he fielded the first question. And he looked at it, and he didn't give anyone any significant sign that inside his stomach was in his mouth. He was nervous. His hands were sweating. And he thought, my goodness, I have no idea how to answer that question. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes there are certain people that you meet that are really quick on their feet, right? The chauffeur was one of them. He said, you know what? I got to tell you, in all my years of the lectures that I've given, that may be one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard. It's so dumb that my chauffeur could answer that question. So I'm going to call him up to the podium right now, and he'll explain it to you. How many times have you heard the Christmas story? And how many times we think we've heard it all and we verbatim to our friends and maybe people in our culture or in our churches and we can sit there and we can talk about the beauty of the, the humility of Mary as the angel of the Lord appeared to her and the dilemma that Joseph faced and the angelic visitations and King Herod and Caesar's tax that he placed upon everyone, the, the long trip to Bethlehem, and there was no room in the inn, and they, they went into the stable, and they gave birth and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, and then suddenly there was with the multitude a heavenly host and the shepherds and the angels, and they had to go tell everybody, and then the three magi or three king, or there weren't three, or how many were there, what time did they come, were they there at the time of the birth? We know all of these facts about the birth of Jesus. But the question is, does that story still impact not only our life at this time of the year, but does it impact our life every day of our existence? And what do I mean when I say that? Most of us can tell all things about the advent and birth of Christ, about the angelic annunciation, the light of the world. 
But are we telling that same story in our lives on a regular basis? C.S. Lewis made the comment, we don't need to be told new ideas so much as we need to be reminded of old truths, the basics. And I find that culture today, as we're trying to answer all of these questions about Christian culture and government and politics and worldview, when the simplistic message of the love of Jesus Christ, that God became man and came down as flesh as a little baby boy. Luke chapter 2. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. I had this discussion with someone this week about the timing of the birth of Christ and the fact that the Romans, because of their conquering of the world and the commonality of the Greek language of where basically all of the major parts of the world were speaking the same language, the trade routes, the roads that had been paved by the Romans as they had gone through all of the area of southern Europe and, and, and uh, Middle East, and they had conquered everywhere. And so they had this very incredible road system that allowed people to travel, allowed commerce, allowed Jerusalem to become one of the great centers of the world at this time. And when you see the arrangement of what God did, they had in the Roman Empire 300 years of what was called the Pax Romana, which was a time of peace spoken throughout all the known world at this time. That it was at the time of Pax Romana, or the time of peace, that the Prince of Peace came and was born in a lonely, a lowly manger in Bethlehem. Do you know there's over 300 prophecies that are given regarding the coming of Messiah? Amongst them, that he would be born in Nazareth. He'd be called a Galilean or Nazarite. He would be born in Bethlehem. And so Joseph went up from Galilee, verse 4, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. He went there to be taxed with Mary. And how many of you know marriage can be taxing? Come on, I have not been able to get one dad joke in the last two months, so... Um, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, who is being, I love the, the wording of this, being great in child. I don't know exactly if that means big or great or we'll just leave it alone. And so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, 
Fear not, for I bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Would you pause with me this morning? And as we pray for God to give us hearts that are soft and ears that will listen and feet that will respond, might we also pray for those that we are aware of right now during this holiday season uh, that are having some difficulties health-wise, um, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that you were aware of is that Pastor Christopher, who was on staff for so long here, ran for Secretary of State. He was diagnosed two weeks ago with a brain tumor. Um, in that context, I just got good news yesterday. It's operable. It's not cancerous. Uh, and there, there are some major, major health concerns that that we have, and, and I always want us to, I know that at the end of service, Joey is going to uh, get us all to go down to the gym because we have all this incredible food and fellowship, and so we're going to kind of like hopefully migrate you down there, and it's a lot, and I guess with parents, with little ones, we have Santa down there, and he's going to, uh, or maybe for an adult, you want to sit on Santa's lap, that's okay too, but I would like to just pray that God would speak to our hearts this morning. That God would say to us individually, Lord, this sermon is not for my husband. This sermon is not for my wayward daughter who has walked away from the Lord. This sermon is not for the person who no longer comes to church anymore. Lord, this sermon is for me. That, Lord, what is it that you want to say to me? I find I ask myself that question every day of my life. Lord, what do you have today? Who's on my agenda and an appointment schedule that I haven't scheduled? Because there's one thing I realize, no matter how great you are in scheduling things, if we are open to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have to be malleable. We have to be correctable. We have to be able to be moved and to guided into sometimes appointments. Believe it or not, we didn't even make. Because God's divine appointments, I believe, are always there every day for us. To share just a little point or just a little insight into what God's doing in our lives. So many people I talk to, they think that, well, I, I don't have a testimony. I don't have something to, that's really worth sharing. So I'll leave that to the Tony Evans and the Chuck Swindolls and so on. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you that there is no other name above heaven or below earth that is comparable to the name of Jesus. That at your name, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that you are Lord 
of the universe. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds that are not distracted, and hands that are willing to enact upon those things you speak to us right now. May you send healing to those who are in need this morning. May you touch Christopher and his family. And may that which so oftentimes when we, when you get our attention through difficulty and malady, may this all go to your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the reasons I'm asking that we would have a fresh perspective of the Christmas story. How many of you have ever heard this statement, um, uh, familiarity or maybe perhaps uh, familiarity breeds contempt? And, and I don't think that we have contempt for the story, uh, that we have contempt for Christ. But I find that there is a strong pattern in the life of the church, myself perhaps included, that we've heard this story so many times. The what can it possibly offer it to us? We think we see the whole picture of Christmas so clearly, and we think we've gleaned all there is to glean. But I want to make some adaptations this morning to challenge us in our Christmas story. Because you see, our Christmas story is about when Jesus gained entrance to our hearts. You see, your Bethlehem experience is not Jesus in a manger. It's the day you surrendered your heart to the Lord. And you may not have heard the angels singing in the distance. You may not have had people give you gold and gold and myrrh. But nonetheless, Jesus appeared in your life. Well, as we look at this this morning, I've got three very simple points I want you to jot down, and we don't have the beauty of, you know, of all of the things online, so I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way if you want to just jot it down, uh, or if you really find one that works for your husband, just elbow him really hard. Number one, we call this the Christmas story, correct? And there's a lot of different versions of it. We call it the Christmas story. Did you know that everyone in this room that has come to know Christ, you have a story? It's your Christmas story. Now, I hope you weren't born in, in a manger. We had all our kids at home, so home birth, so it wasn't a manger. It was a nice soft bed. But did you know that every person in this room has a story? Wow, such excitement overwhelms me. You have a story. And no matter how great or inept or small it may seem in your eyes, it is your story. It is God who divinely intersected your life to give you eternal life. I got a lot of grandkids, and I got lots of stories. 
And man, the last couple of weeks, we've had the kids with 104 fever, and they pass it around to the other. And sometimes we're so in the midst of life that we don't even remember our story. What's your story? What's your story? When's the last time you shared that story? You see, we always talk about the importance that we need to go witness. No, we don't need to go witness. We are witnesses. What we need to do is tell our story. And let me tell you something. If you will keep your eyes open and your ears to the Holy Spirit, you're going to have all kinds of opportunity to share your story in the most unusual circumstances. It may not be in, in, with hay, or as Joey said last week, poop on the, you know, cow poop on the thing, whatever. He had a real great way of saying that. But what's your story? When's the last time you shared it? Now, we know this from a theological standpoint. Go into all the world and, and, and make disciples, preaching the gospel. But yet, we always kind of shudder back from that and, and think that, ah, I don't really have a good one. And boy, I just, I need to get them to church because they got good stories. And we miss the fact that you have a story that is so precious and that is so unique that nobody on the face of this planet has the same story. What's your story? And maybe even more importantly, when's the last time you shared it? Now, I'm not saying this for anybody to feel guilty. Please, understand my heart. Because I know that there are times when I feel I should share my story more. more. I'm bit too busy doing this. Or back when I coached my kids in baseball, I was too busy with their activities. But how many of you know that even sometimes your story's being told when you're coaching baseball? I had a fellow call me this week. Haven't heard from him in 15 years. His son played with one of my boys. I don't even remember which one. And he called me up because his son died this last week. Now, I never really thought about that I was telling my story. Joe, when we're out there coaching our kids to run and take that extra base, you know. And, but there was something about my story that he realized, you know what, I don't know what to do right now because I have a son who just passed away, and I don't, have, I don't even know how to navigate that. How do I do a service? I was telling a story and never even knew it. And you are too. In your workplace, in your school. The Bible tells us, 2 Timothy 4, 2, be ready in season and out of season to preach the word of God. Be able to give a reason for the hope that is within you. And we know that theologically, but the question is, are we doing it in a practical manner that is a natural overflow of the presence of God in our life, in our activity? The other night, um, I will tell you that one of the things I love to do, and it's little things, 
but my wife asked on the way home, could we stop at the corner seven, Union 76 or whatever it's called now um, and get a soda? So I said, sure, I'll go in and get you one. And uh, as I went in there, I had an appointment that I didn't know about. Do y'all know what I mean when I say you have an appointment? I went in. Now, I know I'm looking really sharp these days, folks. My wife has gotten me all these three, I don't know if they call them jumpsuits. What do you call them now, Monty? They, j jumpers? Who said jumpers? Thanks. Was that you, Joe? I'll talk to you later when I'm going to have a story for you. So, you know, it's really been fun because it's really been easy to get dressed because they're kind of casual, but they're kind of dressy. So I had my really cool one on that kind of has a gold shirt and gray, and I walked in, and there were these two guys that were in there, and for some reason, they thought I was working there. <laughs> oh, it gets better. And so they asked me, they said, sir, and they were going through all of these different cans. Now, most of you here know that I have pancreatitis. I have to be very careful. I can't even have Vicks NyQuil as far as alcohol. So, you know, I don't know when the last time a champagne toast, it was probably 10, 15 years ago. But the point is, they went to me, and they were standing in front of the alcohol, and I guess now they have all the, why am I looking at you, Deb? Um, <laughs> we're having communion next week, okay? <laughs> Stay out of the communion cellar. So we're over there, and, and I'm looking around to get something to drink uh, for one of my grandkids. I can't remember their names, but I was getting Gatorade. And so I'm looking for it, and, and, and it's kind of next to where all the alcohol stuff is. And they said, sir, can you give us any recommendations on what you think? And they're talking about, I guess they put vodka with fruit punch and all these different kind of mixed drinks now and they have real they have really pretty cans by the way and you know this whole section and and they're talking to me and about it and and I said well um you want me to advise you on on the alcohol purchase I said would you mind and I said well I would be glad to um and if I might be this bold and I said this okay because sometimes sense of humor opens doors, and sometimes it shuts them really quickly. <laughs> I looked at them, and I don't know why I knew, but I looked at them, the color of their skin, the way they were dressed, I don't know, how handsome they were. I said, I will advise you on alcohol, but what are two young Muslim boys doing buying alcohol? I said it. And they go, now that's funny you said that. He said, we are Muslim. I said, thank God. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. That opened up the most incredible conversation about Jesus that I've had in a long time. Because I was dressed like a vendor. I was doing something for my wife, and God said, you know what? I got an appointment for you. And so as I'm talking, he says, how did you know we were Muslim? I said, well, I just kind of looked, and you guys looked like you're from the Middle East. 
well, where do you think we're from? Now, I wanted to say Persia or Iran or Iraq, but I didn't. I, I took the, the chicken way out, and I said Lebanon, <laughs> you know, because it's a little more mixed cultures, Greek and so on. And, 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 and I said, well, no, it, it's your, your eyes, really, to be honest with you. You guys have, you're incredibly handsome young men. And, um, and they said, well, thank you. And, and so we started talking. And I started sharing with them when I went to Israel out of college. And I shared with them how that we as followers of faith in many different religions or whatever it may be, we always seem to put things in a box. I said, I had done that with Muslims when I was younger. I said, when I went to Israel, I was so dumbfounded because the very first person I met was our bus driver. His name was Feis. And he saw me, and for some reason we had this great rapport. And he, he looked at me and he said, my name is Feis, and I'm here to serve you. And I want you to know I love Jesus with all of my heart. And I wait a minute. I've grown up in America, and we've categorized everybody in this category, that category, that category. Boom, boom. I'm just saying, that's what we do. He didn't fit in my box. And I came to get to know him, and later on I found out even in my own study that of the 25 major prophets in, as a Muslim, 18 of them were in our Bible. So there's a lot of things immediately that we can talk about that, that are congruent. I mean, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, when the split, Ishmael and Jews went this way. And the, but what I wasn't ready for was for a Muslim to say this. I love Jesus with all my heart. Now, I still to this day don't know how that's going to work out. But that's okay. When I said that to these boys, they looked at me and they go, we love Jesus too. I said, you do? And you know what? I haven't seen them yet, but they wanted to come visit us at church. And I said, well, if you do that, I'll come to your church too, and we'll just kind of get together. I want to tell you something. That was my story for the day. I didn't plan on it. I didn't know what would happen. And by the way, this whole time the story's going on, my wife's still out in the car going, where is my husband? Where is my husband? How many of you know that, uh, keep praying for her, right? <laughs> and by the way, their names were Mustafa and, uh, and Za. Now, Mustafa, he... he and uh, he made sure that he wasn't the Lion King character. He told me that. But, but literally, and, and I don't know about you, when you get to share what Christ has done in your life, that's like me sharing, hey, have you seen my new grandson? Graham. Yeah, he's a, he's a cracker. He's a graham cracker. I love this kid. He's two months, three months old. It's a new birth. There's excitement. I'm going to tell you, when you share what your story, it's the greatest feeling in the world because it's your story. 
handcrafted and designed by God in your life. The second thing I want you to jot down, not only do you have a story, and I guess the challenge is, when's the last time you told your story? And are you telling your story? And maybe some of us, to be quite honest with you, we need to work in a safe environment and tell our story to someone we're safe with so that we can think, well, how can I tell my story better of what Christ has done? Because some of us are shy, some of us are, are flamboyant. You know, it's just, it just depends. But, but I, I can't leave here. And all that, that echoed through my heart this week as, as Joey asked me to, to preach was, we all have a story. We may not have angels that announced it. We may not have kings that come to celebrate it. But nonetheless, we have a story. Number two, God uses the ordinary. Joey has kind of woven that through the last few teachings about uh, Zechariah. Uh, him not being able to talk. He's talked about the shepherds, uh, the faith of Mary and Joseph, so simple. God is the master of using the ordinary. Now, I want you to see this for a moment. It's not just ordinary people, but it's ordinary circumstances as well. He takes those things that are ordinary and he does major things, sometimes in very undramatic ways. He does the extraordinary. Now, here's the problem culturally that we have is we like the extraordinary. We like the productions. We like the magnificent. I mean, you know, if you're going to have a highlight of the Bible, I want to see Charlton Heston parting the Red Sea. I want to see the walls of Jericho come crashing down. I want to see Saul struck down on the road to Damascus. Uh, I, I want to see Elijah call down fire from heaven and those 850 prophets of Baal being put to the sword. Because that's spectacular. That's big time stuff. I know we're that way because I listen to you all talk about movies and Star Wars and... The Manda Shumpen Lord Manda Who? Mandalorian. See you're experts at it. All all the you know, the next Marvel, you know, Captain Somebody or Mrs. Whatever, Miss you know, just and, and we, we get off on that in, in you know with our, our video games. Now we have the things that cover up our face and we're in three-dimensional and we're, you know, I've tried one of those and I got dizzy within like 20 seconds. I think of that in terms of bigger and better. Man, did you see the special effects? That was amazing. I look at times when God does that. But most of the times he doesn't. Most of the times it's in a very quiet, unspectacular way. Kind of like you're in my life. You see, Elijah called down fire from heaven. And the Lord appeared. And he was pretty sarcastic about it too. He 
made a few jokes to those prophets. But when he came down the mountain, because he had experienced the presence of God in a dynamic way, he was tired. There was this lady named Jezebel that was chasing him. And he literally came to a place where he wanted to die. He was depressed. And he said, it's, it's, I want to lay down and die. Elijah asked to see the presence of the Lord again. I think this describes my life a little better than the fire from heaven. It said that Elijah looked for the Lord in a violent wind. And the Lord wasn't there. And then he looked for the Lord in fire. He wasn't there. Then he looked for the Lord. There was a thundering earthquake. And he didn't experience the presence of the Lord. All the drama was played out on the mountain. In Scripture tells us that the Lord spoke to Elijah. In a still, small, quiet voice. Things really haven't changed too much. We look for God in the spectacular. Well, if God's who he is, why doesn't he do this? And, you know, and most of the time he's speaking in that small, soft, quiet voice. And even though our culture may crave the dramatic and the sensational, God is working quietly amongst his family. Choosing the ordinary circumstances of life to move in our lives. Arranging and rearranging our schedules so that maybe perhaps the appointment you have, Eddie, when you go to cut some tree limbs is that God wanted you to go out on a limb for him and share in Christ. As I look at the life and ministry of the apostles, as I look at the life of Jesus, do you know how many great miracles happened when they were just on their way to do something? They were on their way to the temple to pray, but a guy interrupts them who's a cripple. Now, I'm not saying anybody and naming any names in our church, but I know that there are people today that if God told you to go do this and you have an appointment with so-and-so that this person needs help to take to the hospital, to go, you know what, I have an appointment, I'll be back in just a little bit. Because that's, that's how prize and what esteem we hold our sacred schedules to. And when we have our nose, you know, in, in our computers or our uh, online calendars, we're not careful. We don't see the small, still, quiet voices of people around us. God uses ordinary circumstances, and he also uses ordinary people. Now, I don't know if you relate to that. I sure do. God using ordinary people. I think of it in terms of Jesus took fishermen on the shore of Galilee and they changed the world for Christ. 
Jesus took Mary and Joseph, just a, a humble servant. And Mary said, be to me as you have spoken, and she is the mother of God. Can you imagine, I mean, I, I've never been pregnant. I've looked like I've been pregnant years ago, but can you imagine, ladies, those of you that have gone through the joy of childbirth, that that is, in fact, the very creator of the universe, God who became man, is now the gestation period in your womb. That's him. I think in terms of how God used somebody like Rahab, a harlot, to save some prophets. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people sometimes we don't even want to invite to church because for whatever reason, because we get real churchy. Can you imagine how God uses people, a guy who is a murderer, who was in charge of putting Christians to death. And God says, you know, I'm just going to take that guy and I'm going to change him a little bit. He's got a big mouth. And he's bold. He's brazen. He does what nobody else would do. You know what? I'm going to get a hold of him. It's going to take about 14 years in the desert. Where I'm done with him, Saul, who is now Paul, will be the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. He's an ordinary, ordinary Jew. Understand something. God can take anything, circumstance or person, that is ordinary and use them for extraordinary purposes. It's not based on your education. It's not based on your economic status. It's not even based upon, so popular today as the it factor. You know, they, they're emotionally mature. They, they've got what it takes. Whatever what it takes, I don't know. I want you to know something. God isn't looking for superstars. He's looking for plain, ordinary folks like you and me. The story of Christmas. Ordinary shepherds. An ordinary man, an ordinary woman, but doing extraordinary things through them. You know what it delineated where the difference is, is this. The difference between ordinary and extraordinary is being obedient. Is saying yes. Being moldable, pliable in God's hand. God appears to a little virgin girl up, up in Galilee. You're going to have a baby. She said, yes. Joseph was confused. He said, yes. Do you remember, and, and you think about it, even when they went back, do you remember Nathaniel, the disciple, who said, what good can come out of Nazareth? That's what it was thought of. It was the perump of the day. Sorry. <laughs> Just an ordinary carpenter, an ordinary young lady who had dreams and hopes for the future. You know what separated them between you and me? is something we can partner with them, and it's just this. Yes, Lord.
yes. And that we learn to say yes. Mark, when you and Jan went to Africa, I don't think you had a pronouncement of angels that appeared over your house. Mark and Jan, John, when you guys started with the food ministry, I don't think, you know, the prophet appeared to you in light. But they just said, Lord, I, I got this thing. I think we're supposed to do a food ministry. I got this thing. You know, Kimberly, when you started your counseling and stepped out away from the business world, all we did was we just said yes. Ordinary people who say yes, who are obedient, God does amazing things. Now, everyone here has a story. And when I look at this and, and see that all of us have something significant that God wants to share in our lives, the third thing I want you to write down is simply this. Jesus and Jesus alone are the only person, thing, possession, whatever it may be, that will ever give us true, lasting significance. What do I mean by that? You know the this, this song, uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem? How the silent star. Now, I don't know any other Christmas town in all of the myriad of Christmas, beautiful Christmas music that remembers the town of Bethlehem. But it's remembered because why? It's where the Savior was born. Jesus gave Bethlehem what? Significance. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't want to be loved, cared for, to feel important, and to have a sense of significance in their life. Bethlehem is significant. Not because it was a cute little town and called the house of bread. It is significant. Why? Jesus gave that town significance. And it's Jesus when he's in our heart, our lives, and we are living out our followership of his lordship. That's the only time you and I will have true significance in this world. And I can tell you, and, and I got a great counsel over here to tell you that that search for significance is huge in people's lives today. Can I tell you another story? That's not fair, Pastor. You said we just have one story. No, I got lots of stories. I learned something this week that I'd never really thought about before that a friend of mine reminded me of. I received a, a call, um, I'm, I'm going to call out Greg and Sharon over there because it was from our friend Steve Stallworth, uh, who is uh, over the South Point Arena, and he's very involved in uh, some of the dinners and galas that go on, you know, with the big important people in town, you know, that all that, and um, I, I had heard from him, and, and I love that guy. 
uh, through the years and just a wonderful family. He called me on Friday, and the reason I wrote the, the, the uh, date down, it was December 2nd, and he called me in and said, Pastor, I, I, I wonder if you would consider doing me a favor. Now, mind you, he was the head of our, our uh, school as far as the, uh, Jimmy, what was it exactly? He was the president of the, the, the yeah, and, and he did all that stuff, and he just a marvelous guy. His, he and his wife did anything and everything for us. And I thought, well, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll do something for you. He says, well, we have this event coming up Tuesday, which I guess is, what, the 9th or whatever. Math is not my strong suit. And so I was wondering if you would do me a favor if you would consider being the MC of this gala event that we're having. And I said, okay, but may I ask why and what, what is the gala? He says, well, it's called the something fa uh, found football foundation something and he said and th there's going to be some interesting people there I said well like who he said well a lot of NFL guys uh Jerry Jones from the Cowboys are going to be there all the owners will be there um he goes um Roger Goodell I guess he's the head of the NFL he'll be there I mean just the really important people and then, and it's this award and it was at the um Bellagio, and it literally, uh, I was supposed to go up and be the MC for those guys, and I thought, man, I really need to work on my dad jokes. Um, I made a pass, and you guys missed it. Never mind. Football, never mind. Um, that's out of bounds, okay? So anyway, and, and yeah, penalty, sorry. I said, well, who did you, you know, if you don't mind me asking, who, who was your host? He said, well, Randall Cunningham. I said, oh, okay, well, I, I understand that. We all know Randall Cunningham. He's a pro hall, hall of Famer, played for the Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings. He pastors a church here in town. He's always busy and doing all kinds of things for the kingdom, you know. He said, Randall ends up, he's got a conflict and he can't make it. So I said, let me get this straight. Randall Cunningham, who still looks like he could mix it up, a Hall of Fame football player to mm, Pastor Greg. I said, Steve, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> he said, no, I, I really he said, Pastor Greg, I think you'd be the right man for it. He said, you're great in front of people, and you, know, you just have to introduce people, and, and, and so on and so forth. And so I said, Steve, I'll do it, you know. And that, but I did ask one question, is there dinner involved? <laughs> he said, yes. And he said, now, the only caveat is that perhaps we won't be able, or uh, I, I do have somebody else that might step in and host it, but they, so far I haven't found anybody <laughs> except you. Um, and so he said, so I'll let you know. I'll call you back on Monday. And uh, I said, okay, now, fast forward, and I'm trying to really make this condensed. I went to bed that night, and I had this whole thing of what I was going to say as an opening. And it was based upon how out west and, you know, out here in the desert spirit, you know, when we first settled towns in the 1800s, you know, the first central place of every city or every town was the church. 
The church was built first. It was the meeting center. It was the center of the hub of the church. The school met there. The town meetings met there. And I said, isn't it ironic, 120 or 50 years later, you know, we look at the great cities of Europe and they built these beautiful cathedrals and Notre Dame was such a fuss because uh, all of the, it, it started to burn down. And yet we find many people tell us that the, some of the great cathedrals of Europe are being used as nightclubs and restaurants. And what's that when you sell everything all the time? Uh, yeah, flea markets. And my point was going to be this. You know, we still are in the business of building cathedrals in our major cities. Now we just name them different. We call them Allegiant Stadium. We call them basketball arenas. Because the cathedrals of today are the priorities of what our nation is all about. Now people don't want to hear that, and I wasn't going to say it in a way that was offensive. I'm just saying, but what I wanted to say that just as a pastor or a, a cleric had to take care of the people of their town, the example that you as owners and coaches have and your players to be that example that that light from your cathedral is one worthy to shine. And I was going to make it real soft. Find out he calls me back. And uh, he says, Greg, I was really looking forward to having you come. And, um, you know, but we found somebody else. And I said, okay. Actually, I was relieved. Um, I said, you mind if I ask you who you, who you got? They said, well, yeah, sure, uh, Archie Manning. Archie Manning, you mean the Hall of Fame quarterbacker from the New Orleans Saints that has two sons, Peyton and the other one that are both Hall of Famers, that has a grandson that's supposed to be a... Those Hall of Fame guys. And so now all of a sudden I go from a Hall of Fame guy passing off the baton to me and I'm somehow sandwiched between this Hall of Fame pretzel sandwich and I just kind of couldn't help but chuckle. I thought, well, it was fun while it lasted. Now, I want you to know that Pastor Joey is a very practical pastor. He said, Dad, after you found out they didn't want you, um, he, he didn't quite say it like that. In fact, this might have been one of your other brothers. I'm not sure. But he said, but did you at least ask for tickets to go to the event? <laughs> what do you bet guess, Joey? I didn't. I totally forgot. I want to close with this thought and that story in your mind because this is how I learned something. I found out later that, that and I, I'll say this because I've covered your prayers, Steve shared with me, which many people did not know, that he had throat cancer very severely. I believe that maybe perhaps even our encounter was just for that reason alone to be able to pray for him. I don't try to figure out my calendar schedule all that extensively. But I called one of my friends up and I told him this story and he was laughing. He said, oh, Mass, he goes, that is hilarious. He says, but I'm going to tell you something. 
you told, and he said I said this, so I don't remember. He said, you told me 20 years ago when I was in a situation. He said, it's because of who you represent, not because of who you are. I, I said that? He said, you did. He said, he asked Randall Cunningham and Archie Manning, he asked them because of who they are. Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Who doesn't want to see a Hall of Fame quarterback? He said, he didn't ask you because you of who you are. He asked you for who you represent. He asked you because there's something of Christ that is in you that has drawn Steve to a place to realize, I'm comfortable with that guy doing that. And this is what I want to drive home today. The significance in my life, my family, my home, our church, our school, it's all because of Jesus. It is only because of Jesus. Because he has given me a story. He has given me a story that I am to tell. And he gives me a story that needs to be shared. You see... If you're at a place in your life, and I want this to just be something that permeates your heart, because I hear this so often from young people to old people, what could God do with me? I'm going to tell you, he's God. He can do anything and everything. I want you to think for a moment. The Bible declares, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called, one translation, the sons of God or the children of God. And John has this revelation, and that's who we are. If you have made Christ Lord of your life this morning, you are a child of God. You are of royal lineage, a royal priesthood, a people that is set apart. We serve a God who is El Elyon. He is the one who is God Almighty, the Most High. He is Adonai. He is our Lord. He is our Master. He is Jehovah Nisi, the banner that flies over us. He is Emmanuel, declared to the shepherds. He is Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting God, Almighty Father. He is the Good Shepherd, the Prince of Peace, the Great I Am. He's the door, the way, the truth, and life. He's the gate. He's faithful and true. He's a faithful witness. The Bible says that he's the first and the last. He's the firstborn of all over the dead. He's the morning star. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and shining star. He's the son of David. He's the holy one of Israel. Folks, when we are brought into the epiphany and the advent of Jesus in our lives, we are his child. We belong to him. We're royalty. The Bible says that we have been created for his purposes. The Bible tells us that in, in context that not only are we his sons and daughters, but we also know that he has given to us to be chosen people, a holy nation, that we would be a family that proclaims his praises. For those of us who have been called out of darkness, 
and into life. The house and lineage of David was important to the birth of Jesus. The heritage that you and I share as a son and daughter of the Most High, the creator of the world, of the universe, the one who separated light and dark, the one who separated the sea and the waters, the one who placed animals and gave mankind the ability to name them, the one that formed and knit us together in our mother's womb. That's our dad, Abba Father, that's our daddy. So please, and not just around me, don't ever think for a moment that you're insignificant. Because Jesus tells us the exact opposite. It's not your abilities, it's not your talent, it's not who you are. Could we even say it this way? It's whose you are. You know, I grew up and my dad was named Joe Massiner. That's who Joe is named after. And Joe, we've had lots of comments about his dad. And I'm so proud of my dad. You Joe Massiner's kid? Well, then you're all right in my book. We are El Shaddai. Elion, Jehovah Rapha. We are the children of the Most High God. We need to stand a little bit with our shoulders back and realize that you, you may be right in this world, there may not be significance, but I got a family heritage that's just off the charts. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, I know sometimes as parents we always worry about did we do a good job, did we do enough for our children? But Lord, I can't tell you what an honor and a privilege it is to know that you called us. And just like you called Zacchaeus down from that tree and said, I'm going to have lunch at your house today. Lord, you call every one of us because that's your desire that all men would be saved. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, I just want to simply ask, there might be somebody here today who has never surrendered their life to Christ. You've never recognized your family. I want to just give you a moment or two as I scan the those in the congregation that if you'd like to make that commitment just slip your hand up real quick so we can pray with you this morning I know most of those that are here today you've made that decision we'll just give another moment but I gotta tell you something it has been an honor and a privilege and will always continue to be that way to serve the Lord to tell my story because I don't know about you I don't deserve God's grace His goodness I don't deserve to belong to this family but because He went to Calvary 
He made a way for all of us. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.